Well, how many of you want to succeed in life? Anybody want to succeed in anything? I mean, that's kind of a dumb question, isn't it? I believe God has put a seed, and we talked about a seed a minute ago. I think God has put a seed in the heart of every person to want to succeed or be successful in something, whether it's your marriage, your business, whether it's your personal life, your spiritual life, you know, getting to know God better. Some of you want to be successful in connecting with God and knowing Him and being filled with His Spirit and being led by His Spirit. We want to succeed in that. I mean, we do, every one of us do. Nobody grows up and says, hey, I can hardly wait to, to be a millionaire and then go bankrupt. Nobody does that. Nobody says, I want to have a nice house and then lose it. See, we all want to succeed. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that so much. We all want to succeed in something. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I want to show you something here in just a moment as we get to it. But I want you to know that success is not a fairy tale. And I know we have ups and downs. We have victories. We have defeats. I know that. Sometimes we have so many defeats, we're not sure whether or not we can really be successful in whatever it is you raised your hand for a minute ago. We're not so sure we can be successful because we have failed so many times. But I want to show you something in the Bible that might help satisfy you today to know that success is not a dream or a myth or a fairy tale. I believe that God has put something in you that drives you to take steps to be successful. And I don't know how you are, but I cannot be satisfied with what is when I know that there's a what can be on the inside of me. You know, I, I think we get so, it's so easy for us to, to live a life of mediocrity because we have given up on this thing that God wants us to have. You know, one of my favorite sayings, I've been saying this for over 40 years, is that God's greatest successes are redeemed failures. And every one of us who know Christ right now have been redeemed from failure. Is that not right? Every one of us were a failure. But He's redeemed it. He didn't redeem you to be a failure. He redeemed you to be a success. I want to show you this verse. It's in uh, verse 32. It says, Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is God's, I want you to think about this, it is His good, ple, good pleasure, it's His intent, it's His desire, He's chosen, He's determined, He's preferred, He wants to give you His kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is the dominion of a king. It's all of its blessings, it's all of its promises, it's all of its prosperity, it's all of its fortunes both present and future. I want you to get it. God has willingly desired to give you the kingdom. And everything that is in that kingdom, He's already wanting to do that for you. He's come to give you life and then give you life more abundantly. You know what that tells me? If this was a television commercial and God's voice came on, He said, I approve of this message. And, and he, wants you, he wants you to get it in your heart. By the way, I hope you take some notes today because there are more life-giving nuggets in this message than there are raisins in a box of raisin bran. I had some of that this morning, by the way. I just want you to know there's something good that you're going to get out of this today. But if you don't settle the fact that He wants you to succeed, He wants to bless your life, He wants to touch your life, this won't make any difference to you at all. We have success by God's permission. And now it's your decision. What are you going to do? What are the steps that you're going to take. You know, uh, I, I watch people, they come to church and they sit in the chairs. And this is all over the world, by the way. It's not just in Louisiana. It's in Colorado. It's in our church. It's everywhere. People sit in the chairs and they just expect a big chunk of glory to fall out of heaven, hit them in the head, and everything's going to be good. And that's not how it works. God is expecting you to have a little effort. 
And maybe that's the problem because we don't want to have to work for it. We don't want to have to, to, to strive for it. We don't want to have to do much for it. We don't want to put forth an effort. We just want it to all come real easy for us. And as long as you protect your excuses or those excuses, success will always elude you. Pastor Stephen, I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I got so tired of people telling me why they couldn't do something. You know, they always make excuses why they can't pray, why they can't serve, why they can't tithe, why they can't give, why they can't show up on time, why they, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, I hardly have ever had anybody come to me and tell me why they could do it. They always come to me and tell me why they can't. Look, we're, we're a family. We're people of excuses. And then we wonder why success is so far away or just at the end of our arm's reach. It's because we're not, we're not moving toward the thing that God has promised us. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a dream. He said, I want to give you my kingdom. I want to give you. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to give you six steps. I'm, I'm just preaching from my own life. Is that all right? Six things that I have done personally over, the, over the, my Christian life that I have distilled down to six things that have helped me to find success. Now, has there been a lot of failures? Absolutely, a lot along the way. But I have found success, too, because of these six things. Are you ready? Number one, I call them power steps. The first power step is you must have surviving power. You must have power that survives. Now, does anybody know who Walter Payton is? I mean, if you're over 50 years old, you probably know who Walter Payton is. If you're under 50, you probably don't have a clue. Walter Payton is one of the greatest running backs in the NFL. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. He ran for over nine miles of career rushing yardage, but he got knocked down every 4.3 yards. You know, he had what I call surviving power. Every time he got knocked down, he would get up and run just as fast and just as hard as he did the last time. I call that surviving power. If you're going to be successful, you've got to have a spirit of surviving. You've got to have a surviving spirit. You've got to have surviving power because you're going to get knocked down in life. Walter Payton is in the Hall of Fame, but he got knocked down every 13 feet. Every 14 feet, he got knocked down. He just got up and ran again and got up and ran again, and he got up and ran again. Proverbs 24, I know you know the verse. It says, for a righteous man shall fall seven times, but what does he do? He, he gets up. He shall arise. Look, if you want to be successful, when you get knocked down, get up. I said, get up. You know, the devil's betting that you're going to lay down and not get up. That's what he's betting on. But if you just keep getting up, if you'll get up and run just as hard as you did the last time, you're going to get knocked down again. You better believe it. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll keep getting up and running, you're going to be in God's hall of fame. You've got to have surviving power. A few years ago, there was a, a woman who had run off an icy road in Colorado down a deep ravine to where there was a river. She was trapped in her car, and it, it, took, it took over a week, and the rescuers finally found her. She was alive. The windows were, were bust out. She had an umbrella. She somehow wrote SOS on the umbrella hung it out the window to keep any kind of rain from coming into that window where she was trapped. She was in freezing cold weather, no food to eat, a little bit of water that would drip through the windows. They found her alive. You know what it was? You know how she, how she lived? She had surviving power. You know, it wasn't because she was trained to survive. She had survival instinct. I believe in this room is survival instinct. I think you've got it. 
I think you've already got what I'm talking about. But some of you have gotten knocked down, but you're not getting up again. You're just saying, well, I guess that's just how it's going to be in life. I guess that's my fate in life. I guess it's not going to get any better than this. Look, if you get knocked down, get up. Get up. I figured it out. Walter Payton got up over 3,700 times. The Bible says if you just get up seven times, he got up 3,700 times to get in the NFL. And I think if you're going to succeed, you need to make up your mind you're going to get up when you get knocked down. I've been knocked down a lot of times. And I'm not the only one. I'm not just talking about me. I know you have too. The devil's not a respecter of persons. I mean, if he gets me, he's going to get you. If he's going to trip me, he's going to trip you. But you know, here, I'm going to say it again. He's, going to, he's expecting that you're going to lay down and not get up. Look, if you lay down, you die. Look, winning 95% of all battles is not knowing necessarily what to do. It's just getting up and showing up. I don't necessarily know what to do when I get back up. I just know to keep running again. That's all I know to do. I don't have an answer to anything. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, he said, He that endures to the end shall be saved. That means you've got to be persistent. Can I put it in our Louisiana vernacular? Would that be all right? Can I, can I just put this verse about being persistent in our vernacular? You need to hang in there like a hair in a biscuit. You ever seen a hair in a biscuit? You can just hold that thing up and dangle it around. That's what Jesus is saying. You've got to have persistence. You've got to hang in there like a hair in a biscuit because that's how you succeed in life. You can't give up and you can't quit. Survivors are successors. Quitters rarely succeed. Isn't that true? I only quit one thing in my whole life. I was in the eighth grade playing basketball. I was in Shreveport, Louisiana. That's where I was born and raised. I was a northerner, a Yankee. And um, I know anything above Alec. We already know that. <clears throat> but, uh, but my mother was... Uh, was born not too far from here to the west in Iway, Louisiana. Anybody know where Iway is? Her dad was a rice farmer. You know, if I don't eat rice once a week, I feel like I'm backslidden. But, um, but anyway, uh, I only quit one thing. I was in the eighth grade playing basketball. I was a good basketball player. And we were way ahead in the game, and the coach did not put me in. I mean, I played a lot of the game. He would not put me in. I got so mad, I quit the team. The team went on to win the city championship and, you know, they got their picture in the newspaper, and guess whose picture wasn't in there? Mine, because I was a quitter. I never quit anything after that, ever. I, I learned a life lesson. I learned a lesson about surviving. Sometimes you get knocked down. What you do is you keep getting up, keep getting up, keep getting up. Number one, you've got to have surviving power. Number two, you need reviving power. God wants to revive you for success. God is not blessed by failure or defeat. He's blessed when you're succeeding, when you have victories in your life. And He's come to restore life to you so you can succeed. He's given to you reviving power. Now, I don't know if you know what the word revive means, but it means to make life, to give life, and to restore life. That's what the word revive means. God has come to give you life. He's come to make life, and He's come to restore your life. Every one of us here have reviving power. And I want you to think about this. You know, uh, uh, you and I have a lot of scars in our life. I was counting the scars on my hands and my arms the other day. I counted 17. And I remember where every one of them came from. I remember when I got that when I was a Boy Scout at nine years old, opening up a can of shoestring potatoes. Remember when they came in a can? All of you that are older know what I'm talking about. And you had that, that, that cheap 
Boy Scout night that you had to kind of go around the edges. Well, that thing caught me and cut me wide open. I remember that. But I learned something about reviving power. God can turn scars into stars because He's come to revive us. He's come to breathe life into our lives. He's come to make life, to restore life. That's what He's come to do. And scars only speak of the past. It only speaks of the past hurt, the past pain. And look, a scar can either remind you of defeat or it can remind you of a victory. It can remind you of pain or it can remind you of the past. It can remind you of the hurt or it can remind you of the healing. I mean, it's up to you what you want to do with your scars in your life. But I look at all the scars, whether they're physical or spiritual or emotional or whatever they are, and I've realized that God has come to revive me no matter what the scars are. He's come to breathe life into me. And here's what it says in Romans 8. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead, I bet you know this verse, but the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead, if he dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's what I want you to think about. When life knocks the breath out of you, God will breathe into you. Anybody ever had the breath knocked out of them? I'm going to see your hands. Anybody ever had the breath knocked out? Gosh, even the ladies have had the breath knocked out of them. Isn't that the most helpless feeling? The first time it happened to me, I thought I was dead. I thought I was dying. I mean, I'm just trying to get any kind of air. And what's so funny is, you know, on the football field, somebody gets a breath knocked down. They make them lie down. They grab their belt and they start pumping them like that. It looks cool, but I don't think it does anything. But see, here's the point I'm trying to make is that, is that Christ has come to give you life. He's come to make life, give life, and restore life. And whatever the world has done, whatever the enemy has done, whatever life has done to knock the breath out of you, he has come to breathe his life-giving breath back into you. He can turn your scars into stars because he has given to you reviving power. You need to take a step of reviving power. You need to turn defeats. God will turn your defeats into victories. It's all about your attitude. It's all about your attitude. Because it's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you that makes a difference. Isn't that true? Some of you say, well, you know, I, I, I don't have enough. Well, the Bible says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Some people say, well, I can't do it. Well, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we moved to Colorado 33 plus years ago to plant that church. And you know what everybody told us in, uh, in that area? I'm talking about pastors and Christians. Every single person came to us and they said, well, you know, this is a pastor's graveyard. That's what they said. It's a pastor's graveyard. You know what I did? I turned to them and I'd smile and I said, well, you know what? I've got reviving power. I've got resurrection power. That's what I said. And my idea was they think it's a place where people die, where pastors die, where, where, where things disappear. I'm a person that's got reviving power. I've got resurrection power. He's come to give life, make life, and restore life. He comes to breathe life in me when the breath of, of life gets knocked out of me. And we have outlived and outlasted probably 100 churches in our area in 30-some years. We're still there. They're not. You know the reason why? Because it's a life lesson. We've had surviving power. We have reviving power. And if you want to be successful, you better have some of that. When, when life knocks the breath out of you, I want you to remember God is there to breathe into you that life so you can get up and go again. Number three, you need to have striving power. 
most of you think it's ungodly to strive, but Jesus said you need to strive to get into the straight gate. You ought to read the Bible. He says you ought to strive to get into the straight gate. Now the word strive that Jesus used there, it means to struggle to obtain. It's a word called agonizomai. It means to, to, with agony or by agony to obtain something. You know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. But life is not easy. Things God has for you are not easy. You have to have striving power. It means to compete for the prize. It means to contend with an adversary. Prizes are not handed out to you just because you showed up. Prizes are handed out to you because you cross a finish line. And that takes striving power. Let me read this verse, Luke 13, 24. It says, Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For I say unto you that many will seek. In other words, they'll think about it. They will seek to enter in and shall not be able. There will be people that will seek to get in, but only few will strive to get in. To seek means to plot or to think about. You know, it reminds me of five blackbirds sitting on a, on a line. Three decided to fly away. How many are left? Five. Just because you decide to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it. Isn't that true? Jesus said there's going to be a lot of people who decide they want to go to heaven. There'll be a lot of people who think they want to go to heaven. But there will be few that will strive with agony to contend with an enemy, to contend or compete for the prize. There'll be very few that will do that. If you want to succeed in life, I'm trying to give you some success lessons right here. Things that I've learned personally of how to get to that next level. There will be many that will decide or think they want to go to heaven, but they won't. It's like Jacob who was wrestling with the angel. Do you remember that story? He wanted the blessing of God. And the angel said, let me go. Let me go. He said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. You know, they wrestled all night. His hip was dislocated. He walked with a limp the rest of his life. It's because he was contending for the prize. He wasn't willing to give it up. He was striving for what God had for his life. There was a striving that took place. And the angel didn't just hand it to him. He had to earn it. He had to fight for it. Look, if you're not willing to fight for your success, then why don't you just go be a failure? Because that's what the Bible is telling us. We need to strive. We need to strive. I've never seen anyone succeed without striving. They say, if you, if you don't first succeed, try, try again. You know that old adage, that's true. It's like the successful youth pastor I heard about. They asked him, how did you become so successful? He said, every 200 things I tried, one worked. I call that striving. What do you call it? If you want to succeed, you're going to have to strive, compete, contend with your adversary. Striving power will lead you to succeeding power. When I went to college, that was a long time ago. Uh, but when I went to college, um, my first semester was 1.9. That was my grade point. Now, I was a pretty good student in high school, but when I got to college, I didn't get it figured out yet. It's a different level. And I got a letter from the dean of the school saying, if your grade point is not an average of 2.0 at the end of the second semester, you're kicked out of college. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I can't do that. I've got to succeed. I've got to graduate. And so I began to change. I began to strive in the way I studied and what I did. And my grade point, by the way, it was 2.1 the second semester, so I was an even 2.0. Somebody say amen. God is good. And every single semester after that, my grade point went up to where I was on the dean's list. You know the reason why? 
because I was contending for the prize. I was striving. I was struggling. You know, the guy that usually wins is the one that leans toward the tape at the finish. You do know that. You ever see them in the race, they kind of they lean into the tape? Here's my question for you. Are you leaning in or are you leaning back? That's my question for you today. Are you leaning into the tape? Are you trying to succeed? Are you trying to get across that finish line? Or are you just kind of leaning back? Whatever life gives me is what I take. Strive for something or die for nothing. You need surviving power. You need reviving power. You need striving power. You need, need number four, you need diving power. The greatest, our greatest failure to success is we don't have any diving power. We don't go deep enough. Remember the story of Peter? They were out fishing all night on the boats. You know, they were behind on boat payments. They had some pretty bad fishing months. They were behind on their boat payments. They didn't know what they were going to do. And so they're coming into the shore, and there's Jesus standing on the shore. He said, hey, Peter, go push out into the deep and drop your nets. Remember that story? And I can just hear Peter saying, hey, Jesus, you're a carpenter. You mess with wood. We're fishermen. We know about fish. You don't fish during the middle of the day. We fish at night. We drop our nets. We get the fish. We have no fish. But the Bible says, nevertheless, he pushed out into the deep, lowered the nets so much so that the fish came in and about sunk the boat. That day, I believe they paid off their boats. That's what I think. But they went deeper. And if you're going to be successful in life, you've got to go deeper. You know, minnows are found in the shallow water. You do know that, don't you? Pastor Stephen and I were talking about fishing in Colorado. I bought a little boat last January because I want to take my grandkids fishing. So I've got this little boat with a 15 horsepower. I mean, in Colorado, we don't have big waters like you do here. And so it's perfect for those lakes up there. And I got a fish finder. My kids gave me a fish finder for Father's Day, which is pretty cool. You know, I see all the big fish and the little fish. Well, the little fish get up in the shallow water. I can catch those pretty easily. I mean, I can just get out there and cast those little stalker trout that they have. But the big fish are in the 40 and 50 foot deep water. You've got to fish differently for them. You see, the things that God has for you that are bigger in the deeper waters. And we are so, listen, anybody can splash, but can anybody dive? God is wanting you to dive deeper and to go deeper with Him and go deeper in your life. You need a bigger goal. You know what the problem is? The problem is not that you, you, know, you aim too high and miss it. It's that you aim too low and you hit it. That's your problem. And some people say, I've heard people say, well, every time I try to do something, I just hit my head. You know, if you dive into the shallow end, you're going to hit your head. Isn't that true? Then I got to thinking about that. You know, Pastor, every time I try to do something, I just hit my head on something. Well, it might be an indication to you that you're in the shallow end of life. Why don't you go to the deeper end of life? Get a bigger goal. Take some chances. Take a risk. What do you do with a goal that's big? What do you do with something that's big? How do you get into the deep end? Well, you take a step that you've never taken before. I just saw on a phone with a pastor the other day. They're trying to build a building. They're in Missouri. I'll be, I'll be speaking for him next year. And, um, and they're trying to build this building. They just found out that the bid that they got was 40% higher than what they thought it would be. 40%. That's a million dollars. He said, we don't even know if we can even start building. I said, well, there's going to be a place where there's a difference between what's reality and what's a risk. And you're going to figure out from God, is this something God told you to do? And if so, is it going to be the risk that you take? Because God wants to bless your life. He's already said he wants to bless your life. But people that play in the shallow end, 
They're just going to splash and get a little wet. You know, I was reading in the book of Numbers how Israel was, uh, they needed water. They were out in the wilderness. And the Bible said that the elders got together and they dug a well with their staves. Now, have you ever tried to dig a hole in the sand with a stick? Have you? I mean, you, I mean, you're fervently doing this, and that sand's just kind of slipping back in there. Well, they got just enough water to get by, but underneath a little deeper was a life-giving flow that they never reached because they got satisfied with the shallow and not the deep. Are you satisfied with just the shallow end? Or do you want to find some big fish? That's the question you're going to have to answer. Take a risk. Dive deeper. I believe the Lord's going to do something for you and in your life. That's what I believe. Number five, you've got to have driving power. The road to success is dotted with a lot of parking spots along the way. And there's a huge temptation in this journey that we're on is to pull over and park. And some of you are really good parkers, if you understand what I'm saying. Because life has been hard. You've had dark days. You've had hard days. You've had successes. You've had a lot of failures. And you just say, well, I guess this is it. It's good as it's going to be. And you've just pulled over and parked. You know what you need? You need some driving power if you're going to succeed with your walk with Christ, in your business, with your family, in a relationship, in your finances, whatever it might be. You're going to have to have some driving power. Reward ought to drive you. Listen to this. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seeking him is like being driven. You're, you're driving for the reward that he has for you. It's like David, you know, the young David. He said, what should be done for the man who kills the giant? And they said, oh, well, if you kill this giant, he said, you're going to have income for life. You'll get the king's daughter to marry. You'll get this big house and mansion. You'll get honor and prestige. He said, well, heck. He said, is there not a cause? There was a reward that was driving him to go fight the giant. Everybody needs to have a reward. There needs to be something on the other side that rewards you, that drives you to do this. Are you following me? If you don't have that, then there's nothing for us to really reach for. If you don't have a goal that rewards you, then don't bother. If you don't have something that drives you, then don't bother. God rewards those with driving power. I mean, he said, ask and you shall have. He said, seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall be, it shall be given. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. It sounds like a command for driving, for some driving power. You'll never find anything you're not looking for. It's kind of like the man who found a treasure in a field. He sold everything he had to go buy the field. Or like the man who found a, a pearl of great worth. He sold everything he had. He was, they were driven for the reward. Something drove them. Reward should be driving you. In, in 19, I was thinking about this morning. I'm trying to think of the year, maybe 79 or 80. I became a State Farm agent. And I was in Baton Rouge. And, um, and there was an opportunity to be a State Farm agent. Everybody wanted to be a State Farm agent. I mean, even guys who'd been with Allstate for 25 years were willing to quit their careers to go to work for Allstate. The average Allstate, uh, State Farm agent in Baton Rouge back in those days made a quarter million dollars a year. I thought, shoot, is there not a cause? <laughs> my insurance agent, I, we'd bought a house, and, and I was doing my insurance with him. He said, Mike, you ought to consider being a State Farm agent. 
I said, really, tell me something about it. And he slid his last two-week paycheck over there for me to look at it. Look at it. And I said, who do I talk to? I mean, it's more money than I've ever seen in my whole life. And so I don't want to bore you with the story, but I became a state form agent. I opened a scratch, what they call a scratch agency, zero. I had to you know, rent an office, put up signs, do all these kind of things, spend a lot of money. And um, in the first month, they had a promotion for all the state form agents around America that if you sold this ungodly amount of life insurance, you'd get a gold watch. I thought, shoot, I can do that. No, no hill for a stepper. I got success in my mind. And so in that month, I sold more than what they required. I got a gold watch. You know what's really weird? I have never worn that gold watch one day. Never. I've never worn it. I mean, I looked at it, and I just put it in a drawer. I've never worn that gold But see, my point is that something was driving me to go, and that, that reward was driving me to success. It caused me to do things that I probably wouldn't have done. In other words, it caused, it caused me to exceed what I'd ever done. Is there anything that's causing you to exceed what you're doing? Because that's the only thing that's going to drive you to that next level. If there's, nothing that, that, if there's no reward out there that's driving you to exceed everything and every effort you've ever made, then you'll just be the same. You see, we've got to have driving power. I, I was once told, you're a driven man. They meant that as an insult to me as a pastor, by the way. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of driven, I guess, a little bit. I don't know. I, but I kind of took it as a compliment. Because if there's not anything driving you forward, there must not be something in your heart that keeps you from driving backwards or keeps you, from, keeps you driving backwards. So, I mean, I, I just thought, no, that's a, good, that's a good compliment for me, something that's driving me. So I'm driven toward the mark for the prize for the high calling of Jesus. What are you driven toward and for? What about in life? What are you driven for? Is there some reward out there? What kind of reward do you want? You ought to be a driven people, not accepting second best. You should, you should be exceeding what you're doing, exceeding your giving, exceeding your service, exceeding your prayer life, exceeding everything. You ought to just exceed. Why don't you get up five minutes early and read your Bible for five extra minutes or just pray a couple of extra minutes? How hard is that? We all have a couple of extra minutes, don't we? We do. But see, we're satisfied with where we're at. I want to see you succeed. Succeed. Remember, you always hit the things that you aim for. So what are you aiming for? Can I talk about hunting? Does anybody know what a prairie dog is? It's like a big rat. They live in Colorado. And some people love them. They're vermin. They have bubonic plague. No, really, they're, they're not. They dig big holes with mounds in your... And so I've got a little piece of property we live on, and I shoot them. Is that right? I shoot stuff? I shoot ducks in the marsh. I'm going to do that in November. And, uh, and I shoot them. Well... I shoot them with a 22. I mean, instead of a high-powered rifle, because there's some homes near in the area. And uh, a 22 rifle is good for about 100 and 150 yards, right, men? That's about right. Well, I'm shooting at 250 to 350 yards, because I've killed all the ones close by. <laughs> but something is driving me to get them off my property. So I shot one the other day at 352 yards. I have a rangefinder, so I was able to see exactly 352 yards. Come on, I'm patting myself on the back. I just think that's really good. Come on, Jesus. Thank you very much. 
reason why I'm telling you that something has to drive you. The reward is to see a dead, that dead prairie dog who's digging holes out there that my horses or cattle can put their foot in and break their leg. That's why they've got to go. Bubonic plague, we don't want that either. Nasty animals. Let me give you number six, we'll close. You've got to have arriving power. You've got to believe in your heart that whatever you start, you're going to arrive. Anybody heard of Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> he made a lot of movies. But, you know, I can't remember anything he ever did in any of the movies, but I can remember one thing that he said. How, how many of you know what he said? I'll be back. That's right. That's the only thing we remember he really did. At least I remember he did. And, by the way, that's not original. He stole that from Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, I'm going to be back. But he said, I'll be back. And what he was saying is that I'm coming back. I'm going to arrive again. Don't worry about it. You need to find your goal and get there. You need to be prepared to arrive. In my mind, I, I mean, we, we built this big building in Colorado. And they, everybody said it can't be done, all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, I should have been put in an insane asylum for even attempting this, but it's okay because I had something on the inside of me that was driving me that was leading me, that was guiding me to, to get to that next level of success. It didn't care. I didn't care what it cost, but I had to do it. And I knew, I knew deep in my heart that I had to have arriving power or we would never get there. We had all kinds of problems. Everything from our building that we're, we were in 10 days before it was going to close, that sale fell through. The proceeds from that were going to be mixed with the loan that we had so we could finish construction. That didn't work out. So we owed our contractor $3 million and couldn't pay him. We had to shut down the project for six months. Until I found a new lender. I was dealing with the newspapers and everybody else saying, can't be done, you can't do this. Well, guess what? The man who says it can't be done ought to get out of the way of the man doing it. That was me. Because I have driving power. I've got driving power. I've got arriving power. I was going to arrive at all costs. It didn't make any difference to me at all. Look, don't be alarmed at the small successes when you're trying to get to a big success. Every small victory you have in life gives you faith to believe for something a little bigger. Isn't that true? It's like Dennis the Menace. Anybody remember the cartoon Dennis the Menace? I mean, he came home one day, he had a horseshoe in his hand, and his dad says, what's that? He said, it's a horseshoe. Three more and I get the horse. That's arriving power. It's like the homeless man. A guy saw the homeless man. He had one shoe. He said, did you lose a shoe? He said, no, I found one. That's arriving power. I like that kind of spirit, don't you? That's arriving power. You and I need that kind of arriving power. Look, the more you do, the more you see. The more you do, the more God will give you. Because he wants, to, he wants you to see in your own heart that you have arriving power. I'll close with this verse. It's very familiar to you. Luke chapter 8. It's a story about Jesus. He tells him to get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. He says in verse 24, And they came to him. Uh, uh, because there had been a big storm that had rose up during the night. He was asleep in the boat. Uh, water was coming in the boat, the wind and the waves. Verse 24, and they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, we're perishing. We're going to drown. Then he arose, rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite of the Galilee. Some of the other Bible translations says they arrived on the other side. 
Jesus had no doubt in his mind whether there was a wind or storm or whatever it might be that he was not going to arrive. He knew he was going to arrive. That's why he was at peace in the boat. You've got, to, you've got to find this divine peace that God has given you that you're going to get there. If God has told you, if he's put the seed in your spirit, you're going to get there. Just don't park. You need surviving power, reviving power, driving power, diving power, all these things that I'm talking about. If you're going to get to that place, if you're going to get to the other side, Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. And that's exactly what they did. The reason why is because Jesus woke up, he spoke up, and he, he rose up. Those, those are the things you've got to do. You've got to wake up, rise up, and speak up. And I don't know about you, but every time I've ever tried to cross the sea or take a step, I always run into a storm. Am I the only one here? But I've learned, I've learned that I've got to have some arriving power. I'm just not going to take no for an answer. No means yes later. That's what it means to me. When I know it's God, that God put it in my heart. Okay, I'm all right. No is fine for right now. That means yes later. It's just not the right time or the timing. Quit letting the devil tell you that you're not going to arrive. Don't believe what he says. Just say, I'm going to get to the other side. This morning, some of you are struggling. You're having some difficult times in your life, and you need some surviving power. Look, you've got survival instinct. You just need somebody to kind of prod you a little bit and say, hey, you can do this. That's me. There's somebody here that's struggling. I think there could be someone here who's out of breath. I want you to know that God is here to breathe into you. His life-giving breath, if you'll let him. You know the reason why? He wants you to succeed. He doesn't want you to be a failure. He doesn't want you to even think you're a failure. He doesn't even want you to think you have a setback. He just wants you to know that I can breathe life into you. I can, I can help you survive. Some of you are on the verge of giving up. It's because you've quit striving. You've quit pushing yourself. And you know, if you'll just, in my mind, every time I think about that, I think, okay, if I can just take one more step, just one more step. Went backpacking in July in, in the mountains of Colorado. I mean, for an old guy like me, with all these young guys like Stephen and some 20-year-olds that were with us, I mean, put 50 pounds on your back, I mean, you're going up over these mountain passes at 12,000 feet. I mean, if you don't die of a heart attack, then hallelujah, you know. It's kind of how I look at it. But some of these 20-year-olds, 20-some-year-olds, I'm 40, over 40 years older than something, they couldn't get to the top of the mountain or over those passes. They couldn't get there. I berated them. I said, how does it feel to have somebody 40-some years old, older than you, able to do that and you couldn't do that? I said, you little sucky baby. <laughs> I said, I'd be embarrassed. But see, what they didn't know is that I was in agony. I was in pain. <laughs> I was sucking air. <sighs> and you know what I would do? I'd see a rock about 20 or 30 feet away, and I'd say to myself, if I can just get to that rock, I'll rest. <laughs> so I'd struggle. I'd get to that rock. I'd, I'd rest. And I'd say, okay, if I can just get to that rock, I'll rest and take to the next. And that's how I got to the top of the mountain. You know what that is? That's called, that's called striving power. There's a lot of agony. A lot of pain. And now a lot of bragging rights. But there are some of you that are like that right now. You're on the verge of giving up because you just can't seem to get to that rock over there. Yes, you can. You can do it. There's probably someone here, you're staying in the shallow end of life. You're just not diving deep enough. You're playing in the, where the minnows are. You're splashing around. Some of you are tempted to stop. 
So you quit driving. You put it in park. You know, success is a no parking zone. Do you know that? So you need to get it out of park and put it in drive and say, okay, I'm going to get back. I'm starting again. I need driving power. And then you need, some of you need a riding power because you think, I've been there, done that, Pastor. I prayed, nothing happened. I worked hard, nothing happened. You know, I've said it here in this church before. It takes years to become an overnight success. And it does. It's a lot of hard work. Bow your heads for just a moment. Are you in one of those six categories? You need some, you need some, surviving power if you need some surviving power today just slip your hand up and say pastor that's me just pray for me amen some of you need some reviving power you felt like life has knocked the breath out of you do you need him to breathe into you this morning just slip your hand up there's a hand already another one another one another one it's easy to give up and quit some of you probably have done that but there's striving power that you need slip your hand up that's you striving you need to strive a little more be willing to take one more step some of you have been on the shallow end of life. You need to go deeper. Is that you? Just slip your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor. I need to go deeper. I need to go deeper. You've had it in park for a long time because you failed. Failure doesn't mean you stop. Failure means you try again. Today, Lord is trying to get you to put that gear, shift that gear back into drive again. And you need his help to help you do that. Would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me, Pastor. Some of you never thought you'd ever arrive because you started and ran into all kinds of trouble along the way, but you need some arriving power. I want to pray for you if that's you. Slip your hand up. Thank you, Father. Lord, almost everybody lifted their hand for one or more of these six simple things, the six power steps that we have to take. Lord, you've already declared it and decreed it that you want to give the kingdom to your people. It's your good pleasure. It's your desire. You diligently want to do this, to give us the kingdom and all the realm that's in a kingdom. But Lord, we've lived our lives like it'll never happen. We can't do it. Lord, there are some here this morning, they need some surviving power. Lord, I'm praying that that survival instinct, that seed that's on the inside of them, that you would begin to water it right now. Today, they would just get up and say, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not backing down. I'm not quitting. I, I'm not, I'm not going to let life steal from me. I'm going to survive. I'm going to make this work. There's some that are out of breath, Lord God, and they need your breath of life to breathe in them. Would you do that by your spirit right now? Just breathe life into them. Come on, if you lifted your hand, I just want you to suck in or inhale the breath of God right now. His life-giving breath It's there for you this morning. Lord, there's some on the verge of giving up. All they need to do is just take one more step, but they've gotten knocked down, Lord God. And, and, and they've tried to get up, but they're tired, Lord. They're laying down, Lord. If you lay down, you die. Father, I'm praying that you'll help them get back up. Take one more step. Thank you, Father. There are others, Lord, that lifted their hands saying that they're, they're in the shallow end of life. And they've been fishing in the shallow end. And, and they've come up empty, Lord God. Their nets are empty. But you're saying to them right now, push out into the deep. Go a little further out where the mysteries of God are found, where the, where the presence of God is found. Help them push out a little farther, Lord, and lower their nets in Jesus' name. And Lord, those who have put their life in park because they're older 
And they say, well, you know, it's my time and my season of life. Lord, it's their season of life to put it in gear and get going. Lord, help those that are older to do that. Help those that are younger realize that they can accomplish what you put in their spirit and put in their heart. That success is not a parking zone. Lord, lastly, those who lifted their hands, who started out but felt like they could never arrive. Lord, I'm praying that you'll give them the strength. Lord, as they wake up, rise up, and they speak up, that wind and waves and storms are going to be calm because they're going to arrive. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. We do head still bow for just one more moment. I just want to ask you, if you're not right with God, I never close a service without asking somebody. I've got you to respond to the message, and I want you to respond to Christ. He's here in this house. He loves you, cares about you. Three words he has for you. I love you. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how you did it. Doesn't make any difference. He loves you. He died on a cross for you. He took your place. And if you'll reach out to him this morning, he'll forgive you. He'll restore you. He'll renew you. But it's up to you. I can't make you do that. There's a little tug in your spirit. There's a tug in your heart right now. You know some things are not right in your life. And God wants to fix that. He wants to renew you. He wants to bring you home. If you're that person, nobody's looking, it's dark in this room. Slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I am that person. I need to get right with Jesus. I need to give my heart back to him. Just slip your hand up. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Just pray this prayer in your heart with me. Father, I know that I've failed. I've made mistakes. I've disappointed you, Lord. And I'm sitting here this morning. I have guilt. I have shame. I'm embarrassed, Lord, by what I've done, how I've done it, what I've said. And I'm asking you this morning to come and help me, to renew me, to restore me. Lord, I lifted my hand to say, I need you. I want to come home. Lord, like the prodigal son who saw his father running, fell upon his neck and kissed him, killed the fatted calf. Lord, that's what I see you doing for me right now, running toward me, putting your big, strong arms around me, kissing me saying welcome home I give to you my heart and my life I want to be one with you Lord God wash away my sin make me new in Jesus name I pray Amen Pastor Stephen why don't you all stand up I want those things in my life I want them Not only I want them, I know I have to have them, and they're all found in Christ. And if you're in Christ, they're yours. If you have him as Savior, and you're his and he is yours, they're yours. Amen? And you just have to apply them. You have to say, okay, Lord, you gave them to me. Let's pray and let's close. Kids, y'all did a great job. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, in our homes, in our individual lives. We thank you, Lord, that we are in you through the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we do have all these different powers because you died, because you rose again, because you overcame. Now we, Lord, are overcomers. We thank you that this is going deep in our heart because it's your word. And we thank you that it's bearing wonderful fruit in our lives, in generations even yet unseen. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day.